Aloha and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 107. I'm Jeremy and always, as always, I'm joined with my co-host Edwin of unnamedgameshop.com. Jim is currently in Chicago this week, so he won't be able to be on, but we may have a guest dropping by halfway through the cast. This cast is always sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc. and GatheringMagic.com, who have partnered with us to give away free $25 gift certificates. With free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% buy list bonus, CoolStuffInc.com is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. So, Ed, how's that jet lag feeling this week? Uh, other than the fact that I couldn't sleep at all for like a week and a half, I'm actually doing okay. So, I'm currently in Hawaii just here on a layover and before I fly to Minneapolis. So the here glorious to world of MTG finance. You start off in such a cultured nation like Japan, and then you take a quick sabbatical in the island of Hawaii, and then you go to Minneapolis. So... Yeah. Goes downhill pretty fast. You know, I really love Minneapolis. Um, I will be at the GP, but I will not be on site for basically any of it. Um, Ed, where, where are you working this week? Are you allowed to say for uh, viewers that want to stop by? Yep. I'll be at the Tales of Adventure booth all weekend. So if you want to say hi to Ed and get a picture, because we know he loves that, uh, we'll tweet it out on the cartel, uh, social media, and all that. Um, but Japan was a ton of fun. There were a couple arbitrage opportunities that I'm just going to touch on briefly because I know the average Magic player doesn't care. But as Ed and I were talking about before the cast, there's basically no Japanese battle bond anywhere, either in Japan or in the States. And there's no actual boxes for sale on eBay. Um, and even in the entire Grand Prix hall, there was only a couple cases of product that you could get from all the vendors, um, even including the shops they were tied to back home. Uh and they were charging about 108, 110 US dollars after the conversion rate. Um, I think because of some other finance platforms out there that have been pushing this as a spec a lot, uh, these can easily hit like 150, 175, should be a real easy number to get because of the price of foil Japanese true name nemesis. And Ed, what were people selling those cards for this weekend? And did you actually sell any? Uh, there weren't very many available. And I think most of them were probably in like the like eighty to ninety thousand yen price range, which uh, is probably like seven hundred and fifty to eight hundred and fifty dollars, depending on how you want to do the exchange rate. It's roughly minus ten percent, so if it's eighty thousand, it should be like seven hundred and twenty dollars. Um, that's roughly like what people are selling them at, and not many vendors had them available just because it's a foil mythic. And there wasn't a lot of battle bond that was available in Japan to begin with, like Jeremy said. It just wasn't heavily ordered because people didn't anticipate on it being popular. So the scarcity of it just kind of compounds and just makes it that much harder to find. And another thing I noticed arbitrage-wise is that they had copies of Commander Anthologies 2 for about $108 if you were able to bring those back in your luggage because those boxes are huge. Um I think I got like two. I wasn't able to fit any more. I brought three suitcases to Japan on a business trip and I filled them with like battle bond and singles, but there it was really hard to fit commander anthologies too, but those sell for like 175 in the States with like cost being 85. Um, and I think if you buy us everything to card kingdom, it goes for about 135, 140 if everything's near mint, not including the dice. Uh, so it's just something to keep in mind. If uh, you're looking to make an arbitrage play from overseas. Yeah, you can also always just like bust the box. You don't need like the giant display box. Uh, like if you're if you're willing to like break it down, either like piece out for singles, or even if you just want to ship it all off in Card Kingdom, 
it's very reasonable that you could just uh just like open up the box throw out throw away this play box and just carry back the dice plus the four decks yes which would have been a great idea if my customers hadn't specifically asked me to keep them sealed i no. would completely agree with you oh okay how, how unlucky yeah uh, never lucky um yeah. but other than that japan was a bunch of fun um I don't know. We saw each other for a little bit, like one of the days. Uh, that was pretty much it. I don't think there. I saw one cartel fan the entire time at Chiba, which makes sense because uh, I wasn't really on site. I don't know if anyone came over to Ed. Uh, he was sort of hiding behind like a, a display case, so probably not. But it was fun. Um, the weather and, was miserable. Yeah, it was the hottest ever in recorded Japanese history. It was 104 degrees converted with the heat index at 80 to 90% humidity. Um, yeah. I just remember walking outside and immediately just being drenched in sweat. It was horrible. Yeah, there's also no AC inside the hall because it, because it was open to the outside. So, so the hall was probably like a comfortable 90 degrees pretty much all weekend. Yeah, and uh, for me, that was uh, that was not great. Uh, definitely to run back to the hotel to shower like between rounds because it was just too much. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much it. Luckily, I believe Minneapolis, being the weatherman here, is going to be 75 and overcast, which is perfect. It's like the perfect weather for a Magic GP. Um, so it'll be a ton of fun. Other than that, though, outside of Japan, because we understand that our listeners uh, may not do what Ed does every week, uh, are slightly more grounded than I am. Have slightly yeah, more normal lives. Yes, they have, you can they, have, they have normal jobs. Um, if you're going to your first Grand Prix, because we've had this conversation come up a lot, but there's also a lot of cartel people that are coming to GP Minneapolis. Like, how would you organize your stuff? Because you will be buying at this event to make it easy for a vendor. Like, as far as presenting your cards at a at a booth, like, do you keep them in binders? Do you keep them in a long box? Are they sleeved or unsleeved? And then uh, not even ogring it, but like, wh- where would you draw the line, Ed, on haggling with a vendor either at your local game shop or at a Grand Prix of asking for maybe ten percent more or five percent more on certain cards? Like, what what is the point where people can haggle with you that makes it worth both of your time for you to buy the card and for them to get more money than what you offered initially? What would be the best strategy for presenting your cards and getting the best rate when you're specifically biolisting to a shop or at a Grand Prix? uh so i've kind of like touched on this before i think we've definitely like kind of touched on this but like i think in entire, yeah we in just we just have like 20 listeners going to minneapolis from like messages so they all yep. have been asking the same thing because they want to sell cards to you so oh god damn it yeah <laughs> uh, all right uh, and our sponsors coolstuffinc.com who will also be at minneapolis obviously not forgetting about them so the way i would look at this is generally the more time i have to kind of prepare the better the better experience it's going to be and it's going to be the way you maximize your money like realistically if you if you're kind of in a boat where you just found a bunch of magic cards like you're back home from college you found a bunch of magic cards this is the closest gp you're looking to just offload everything right then like most vendors will probably be a little bit annoyed but like you bring them like a five thousand count box and it's mostly like you know one to ten dollars so most vendors will probably be very very happy but it's going to take them some time you'll probably have to leave the box with them uh, most vendors are trustworthy. People aren't going to be like, aren't going to risk their reputation to like steal stuff out of your box. You can, you know, just leave the box with them, go play side events, and come back at the end of the day. Give them time to uh, price out or whatever. 
But because not every vendor is going to give you the best price on every card, or no single vendor will have the best price on every single card, you're leaving some money on the table by doing this. Um, wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> How's it going? I am and so good. His audio is not even working. Yeah. No, oh, there we go. Yeah. Do you want to go what? ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, tell yeah, this question. I, I don't want to talk about this question anymore, anyways. No, yeah, on. Jeremy asked me to join on just to annoy you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you want to give a background on who you are and why uh, we also see you at every Grand Prix? Oh, uh, I basically just grind arbitrage between different countries. Uh, you know, it's a very easy thing to do. And he's not even going to say his name. This is uh, Monty. He's yeah. a he's a well known Sorry, my name is Monty. well known Canadian uh, MTG finance guy. And we were talking about how's the best way to sell your cards to a vendor at a Grand Prix to get like the best value or to your local shop. Like, what is an acceptable percentage to haggle with them over on certain cards? And like, is there a way when you're selling cards to a vendor that you like take them out of sleeves or like bring them in a box, or do you just bring a binder with everything in your collection and deal with them that way? Oh, uh, well, sorted cards are worth more than unsorted cards. Make sure you know what you have and don't waste people's times. You, if you like, if you don't care about your money, you're going to just give them a box and just let them go through it. But if you go through it and you have everything sorted correctly, then they're more willing to be budge with you, especially if you have, like, they can see, oh, I've got six copies of this and not just, like, six different ones spread across a box somewhere randomly. So when you say sorted, you mean sort them by color, by price, and then, like, put them all together? Or is there a specific yeah. way to sort everything? Like, make sure that, like... There's no so many times I've seen where like one guy has like a scalding tarn on like the first page of his binder and another one like on the third or the seventh page of a binder. If you just like keep them all together somewhere, someone can see, oh, maybe you have like nine or ten copies of this and they're willing to take like a smaller margin because they can move multiples of them. And so when you're haggling with a GP vendor, because we have a lot of listeners that are coming to Minneapolis this weekend where Ed is working, if they want to haggle with Ed, what, what what can they say to make sure that they get the best price for their cards? Is like, Do you say, oh, well, this online shop is paying this much? Or do you just try and haggle to the highest buy price in the room after you've walked around? Like, What is worth Ed's time to pay like $10,000 for a booth? And then what is it worth... Uh, to the player to be able to get just a little more out of their card? Like, biggest suggestion would be to, like, know just know, exp know what you want on your card before you show up. Like, don't go in there going, oh, I'm going to hope that I get something good on it. Do your research, know exactly what your cards are worth, and understand that Ed wants to make money on it just as much as you do. Uh, he'll want to sell it for more, but if you're able to provide a comfortable number between each other, then it'll make it for a much easier experience selling. Anything you want to add to that, Ed? Uh, so I think to kind of like, to kind of round up what I was saying earlier, if you have your cards, like you don't necessarily need to price everything, but if you say like this stuff is like $1 to $10, and then this stuff is like the slightly better stuff, et cetera, um, it makes it a little bit easier to go through. Uh, if you just have like cards mixing with bulk and like everything, one that's going to take forever and the likelihood that's, like an actual card gets like mixed in with bulk because that's what like oh the stack was bulk maybe like I'm not gonna take my time to go through it 
you're I like it's it's more likely that something will be missed. So the more time you put in yourself, especially if you kind of do a little research, um, again because not every vendor is going to have or not no single vendor will have this uh, best price across the board. It kind of makes sense if you want to say like it, like ba basically you're ordering it out. Just put a slightly higher buy list than normal. Like if your baseline is Channel Fireball, will pay. I don't even have magic cards out that I can look at. Like, let's say they want to pay like sixty dollars on Scouting Card, for example, um, or like fifty-five or something. That's probably like a reasonable. That's probably a slightly more reasonable baseline. You can probably put it like just take like, like honestly, sharpie like sixty and see and and there will probably be a vendor who will beat the fifty-five and will take sixty, but they on, but they might not be able to pay like an extra ten percent on some other card if you repeat this a bunch. Obviously, this this is like somewhat labor intensive. You actually have to kind of go through and do your research. But, okay, but you you keep using all these big words like do your research, and Monty says do your research, and you guys are using all these terms that that you're saying ogring. What do all these mean? Uh, ogring. So the way like generally when I price cards to dump at a Grand Prix, um, I basically just lay them on piles. I say like I want one dollar for these cards, two dollars, three dollars, four dollars, etc. And I just make stacks. And either you can just jam them all in sleeves and just write one on a bunch of sleeves, or you can just make a divider and then just hand them a stack of cards. Okay, look through the stack. It, like, is there are are there any of these cards that you want to pay one dollar on? Are there any of these cards you want to pay two dollars on, etc. Um, and again, your general, I would say my general rule of thumb is that I want to price price a little bit higher than normal. Um, like again, if so, like if Scouting Card the baseline is fifty five, like I know it takes me no effort to go over to the Channel Fireball and get fifty five on my Scouting Card, but if I want sixty, I'll probably get shot down by Channel Fireball. I'll probably get shot down by at least one or one or two other vendors. But if I'm willing to make the lap around the room, there will probably be some vendor that's willing to take my Scouting Card at sixty dollars. I mean, I, I know there will be some one vendor willing to take Scouting Card at sixty dollars. That's, um, but if you do this with several vendors. Uh, if each vendor takes about 33% or so, based on we can pay this slightly higher number, you're going to make more than if you just handed one vendor the entire box and just say, here you go, buy everything. Um, so it's just a matter of how much time you want to put in, how much research you want to do uh, to make it worth your while. So, And again, if it's a big enough question, if it's a five row of like $1 to $10 cards, it's certainly going to be worth your time to price everything out and try and squeeze a little bit more. Yeah, so Monty, when you do your research, are there certain websites that you look at to do your research? And is there like a baseline percentage of a card that you're trying to get, or is it just dependent on the situation? Uh, like, understand if so how like liquid something is. If something's like a tournament staple and you're at a modern event, quite often like you're you'll be able to sell like more modern cards at that point. So they might be able to pay like more for something on Fridays. You might be able to get a small a smaller margin for them. So like. For example, if you look at a price of a card, Ed was saying Scalding Turn. So Scalding Turn regularly sells for about like seventy to seventy-two dollars. Uh, like asking fifty-five is fine, but you could come in on like a Friday if you know that Scalding Turns are going to be popular. Maybe people will want them, and you'll be able to ask like sixty-two or something like that. You might be able to squeeze out those extra two or three dollars if you're really trying to get value out of it. Uh, just like knowing what people will want. And knowing like what you feel they'll be able to get for while it's there, and what they'll be able to get for it when it's back home, and they have to pay fees on everything rather than just selling it at this booth. Uh, 
as long as someone's willing to make money on it and they feel like they have the bankroll to do it, it shouldn't be a problem for them to be paying whatever you ask for. And is there ever a point where you, you guys have haggled a vendor up to a higher cash price and then you've just taken credit instead? Is that sometimes the correct play as well? Or is it always for you guys more focused on uh, getting the highest amount of cash at each event? It definitely varies. Like if, um, like my general strategy is I kind of like scout things out. Like if I'm trying to target a very specific card, I'll just kind of make a lap around the room and say like, you know, there are like, you know, this many, uh, like this many copies of a masterpiece, for example, or like when I was looking at power, it's like, okay, I need to find like a beta mox or something. I can kind of go around and scout to see what, uh, like how many beta moxes are, what my options are. Um, like there are definitely times when I've taken credit. So it's, if there's something I do want, then I'll say, hey, can you pull this aside for me? I'll bring you a box of stuff and then we can work something out. Um, if, I just, if I just do need cash and I'll just like, then I'll just have everything ogred out and I'll just kind of walk around to vendors leave my box with them, you know, I'll come back in like two hours or something and then just tell me like what you took out and then what that number is. Um, that being said, if you're trying to sell cards to me, uh, if you do have a number in mind, I am, I'm pretty reasonable with the numbers. Like I generally don't share the top number that I can pay on things. Um, I will normally like try and pay slightly lower, but if you're reasonable, then I will sometimes just give you the, the number that you asked for. And then there will be times I would hope that you're that you're also willing to be a little reasonable. And if you have something at four dollars, like okay, if I take you know your twenty copies, will you sell them to me at three dollars? There's like a little give and take, and like hopefully it's the point where you probably would have been happy with three, but you put four dollars, see if there was a vendor that would take it. And then if I offer you three, hopefully that's reasonable enough that I'll just take it all at once from you. Um, and generally, those are like the best type of people to work with. There's a little give on both sides, and both people realize that the other person is trying to get like the, the the best possible outcome for them so if that means you have to give up something then you do that on both sides generally both people are pretty happy with the transaction anything else to add monty before we go on uh like it's good to know like if you know the vendors and you're able to like research them a bit beforehand sometimes you'll know like maybe they'll pay more for specific kinds of cards for example like ed's helping tales of adventure and they really like casual cards he loves them, and you're able to bring him all of those, and he'll buy a lot of them. Uh, but like, know who wants, who might like be in demand for certain types of cards, and which ones will be able to pay better on. Sometimes it's better to like sort them out, and not always just sell to one person, but sell to like multiple people, and like separate everything out and give people exactly what they need. All right. With that being said, let's move into more fun globetrotting questions. Our credit winner of this week is Daniel Ostrander. Uh, Daniel asks, not sure if you guys have covered this before or not, which we haven't, but I'd like to know which sites offer the best BIOS prices for foreign singles, especially Japanese. I understand that most won't take them and others offer less than English. I'm just curious what my best option is for unloading non-English cards. Um, so before Ed gives the actual answer, on how to get rid of foreign cards. Um, if you guys remember from last year, Star City sold 450,000 bulk commons and uncommons on an eBay auction, and the highest bid was $430, um, including pickup. So, like, he drove, the, the winner drove and picked it up, 
And a year later, he still has not sold more than maybe a thousand cards out of all 400 and something thousand and is like frantically trying to get rid of them before he moves. So uh, to expand on Daniel's question, is there a difference between foreign bulk and foreign singles? And for each, which is the best way to move it? Uh, for foreign bulk, like you might as well throw that in the trash. Uh, there's, there's just like nothing there. Like no vendors can pay anything for it. Like you can't like repackage it and put it on like Amazon or like lots or eBay lots or something. Generally you're going to have like, it, it's, it's not worth paying slightly less to make people unhappy because the last thing you need is like a feedback saying like, Oh, I bought like a thousand, like a 1000 box, like instant collection. And like half it was foreign bulk. Like that's gonna, that's one, that person's definitely gonna leave you bad feedback. And the amount that you save is certainly not going to be worth, um, uh, like risking that. So for bulk is pro is pretty bad. I would just avoid entirely. Like safely, you can dump it out, and you're not gonna lose anything. Um, like even like bulk rares that you can like get a dollar out of. There's there's just almost no value in those. In terms of slightly better cards, like foreign singles, um, especially for like Japanese. Like I have. I have a decent amount of like casual cards in Japanese. They do sell, they sell very slowly. Um, like Cabal Coffers is kind of the shining example. Um, in Japan, you can buy like Cabal Coffers for 800 to 900 yen, which is like seven to $8, which is like 40% of the price of normal ones. Most places will charge like 2000 to 2200 yen for Cabal Coffers. Um, Mainly because they know, like a lot of people, they just want English ones rather than Japanese ones. And uh, in the later years, there have been so many Japanese dealers um, who would just bring in such a huge influx. They would trade them to Star City because Star City actually had. They, they still do actually. If you go, if you go onto their buy list, you, they actually publish their buy price on their uh, on Japanese singles. Um, but it used to be like it used to be like fifty to sixty percent. Um, of the English uh, buy price, now it's down to like 20 to 25% on a lot of them. Um, that's probably going to be like the most painless way. Uh, I'm sure if you like do a little research, I'm sure like there are vendors out there that will pay for uh, for them. But for the most part, uh, they're, they're just, you're not really gonna find a buy list that's reasonable. Like even, even though it's so cheap in Japan, um, some of these, like I just have so many copies of my, I've only gone through a lot of Cabal coffers. I still have like a million like Herfros, uh, God of the Forge, which is also surprisingly cheap in Japanese compared to English ones. Um, but there's just so many of those out there. Um, yeah, when I saw the price of Japanese Perforos, I was shocked. That seriously, uh, God, I uh, Monty, don't you have something to say about this? Like, I I, I give up. I, I have no more on this topic. Uh, shout out to Daniel though. Uh, I think. Like we've been trying to meet up in person. He, I know he lives. I think he lives in Nagoya. Um, I think I, like he's definitely reached out to me a few times trying to meet up, but it just hasn't happened. Our schedules haven't lined up that way. But uh, thank you for the question. Yeah, it's because you bought all those cabal coffers and you're swamped. All right, Monty, you want to take over this question? I, I I give up on this. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so basically, like, so there's no way you can really find much of a great buy list for foreign cards anymore. Uh, most people don't want them. Uh, I move most of mine. I take them to dealers within Europe uh, because they can list very easily foreign copies of cards online. Uh, a lot of them are more willing to take them. As everyone knows that you're going to have to like take less than you would for English prices. But 
they're more willing to take them because they're able to list them very easily uh, on card market. So because of that, they're able, to, they will actually take them rather than a US vendor, which is going to be like, just toss it aside and tell you, I don't want any of this, go somewhere else. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, the other way I've seen a lot of people uh, sell foreign cards is on Facebook. Um, that opens up a whole nother realm of whether or not you want to sell magic cards on Facebook, because I think as all of us know, there are some people out there that make it a pain in the butt to do business with on Facebook. Um, whether they're like complaining or like you, you, they DM you, do you have this card? You say, yes, they say, great, I'll take it. And then they don't message you for another week, like stuff like that. Uh, it's like a whole nother can of worms. So when you do, when you do go online, to start selling cards versus in person, it's not guaranteed that you're gonna make that sale or that the money will actually come through uh, when you're not selling these cards through like a seller's platform like TCG or like in person. So it's just something to keep in mind. Uh, but thank you, Daniel, for the question. Please message us on Twitter or Facebook at Cartel Aristocats and we'll get you your free $25 gift certificate. Once again, if you want to leave a question to win next week, please leave it on Gathering Magic's uh, post that will come out tomorrow. And do not tweet at the cartel account asking where you can leave a question because we are saying once again on this podcast where you can leave the question to win. Because uh, uh, people do this every week and I'm still not sure if it's a meme or if uh, they're just, uh, they don't get it. Um, so yeah, it's just something to keep in mind. Foreign bulk, you can you can get rid of by like selling it for like three dollars a k and even then it takes forever but you're never going to be able to sell that to a casual player like you would english bulk because casual players want to be able to read the cards that they're playing on sleeves so it's just something to keep in mind um and moving on though because uh, we were discussing this before the podcast uh, one of the biggest uh old school vendors out there abu games had insane we're talking like 100 to 200 dollars above ebay completed uh, closings on uh, old school cards. Their buy list prices were insane on old school cards. It was, you could arbitrage basically tens of thousands of dollars just buying off of any of the markets. Like you could buy a near mint copy of TCG player. And even if it comes back as SP, you send it back to ABU for that condition and you still make a ton of money. Uh, so people were exploiting that a lot. And just recently in the last couple of days, they've dropped their buy list prices on old school stuff about 30%. Uh, do you guys want to explain uh, why this is going on and then segue it into Ed's reasoning of what you should be doing with your capital in the winter versus the, the summer versus the spring? Because we keep hitting on this and it seems like people keep forgetting about it. So why did they lower their buy prices, Ed? And uh, will we see an adjustment or is this here to stay? I, I think for now, like it, it's impossible for them to sustain the uh, the buy list that they did. Um, they probably they probably have an issue. I imagine where it's just like, okay, you're paying so high on like you know like Arabian Nights cards across the board, for example. Okay, well, any like if I can find like even remotely close to reasonable deal, or I don't even need to find a reasonable deal. Even if I find like an unopened, unsearched Arabian Nights pack. And I crack it, and I like I open up like a near mint, like Juzob or like one of the other million cards that they paid like an unreasonably high number on. I'm just gonna send off their buy list. And, like, could I get graded and go through the work? Sure, but like BGS has like a ten month wait list now. 
Like it, it's not worth the headache if I can just send a uh, um if I can just send a card to the buy list and just get done with it out of the way. And they probably just bought way too many of these, and there's probably not a lot of people out there who are wanting to pay top dollar on a near mint, uh, like near mint, like old score cards or whatever. Um, so naturally, like they probably would probably bought more than they imagined. Like realistically, like how many like near mint shizoms can you afford to pay? Was it like a thousand dollars on or like eleven hundred dollars? I think that was like their highest buy list at one point. Like how long is it gonna take you to move like eleven near mint shizoms? Like and if you multiply this across like a bunch of cards, like Juzama is just one example. How many cards are there that are like more than a hundred, two hundred dollar buy lists that they pay so far above what is a reasonable market value that they can continue, continue to do this? The threshold has to be pretty low, and it probably just means that they're tapped out on how many they actually want to take it at this point. Anything you want to add on the arbitrage opportunity with ABU, Monty? Uh, so like. You could buy a lot of stuff and send it to them, but also like a lot of people took trade credit with other places and then just dumped them to them. Uh, so that really helped, and it was another thing like you could watch uh, how much they were paying on something and then send it out over to them afterwards uh, from buying it at a GP. You and you could literally take stuff, trade it into a vendor, and if you took off the trade bonus on what you'd get it would be lower than the price that it would just be to sell to abu so you could just get like an extra 10 percent out of it so a lot of people were sending that way i assume they just got like flooded on everything and don't want to spend money on the old school anymore or want to like sell it some before they consider buying it which makes completely reasonable sense which leads us to our next topic which is cash management because there's a lot of listeners going to GP Minneapolis that are trying to sell cards. Um, as the market continues to drop on a lot of uh, modern staples and stuff and uh, cards like that, when it comes to Bilas and Ed, you you have a like tweet of the quarter every single quarter online where you're like, "Oh, it's time to buy cards. Oh, it's time to not buy cards. Oh, it's time to hold your money." And uh, like, what's the correct play in July and August? Now that you have all these people selling out, um, is it like time to hold your money close and like wait until December? Is it time to start buying a couple small things that come your way for quick flips? At this point, like I'm pretty heavy on just stocking standard. I think like like realistically, at a reasonable buy price number, like I would be comfortable going buying out going out and like owning like two hundred copies of every mythic and standard. Um, one, because I can afford to, but two, like, sure, you're definitely going to have some busts, like, like just looking through, um, like, Ixlaw Mythics, right? Like, I honestly doubt, like, Quatly is ever going to be, a, like, an absurdly expensive card. Um, Are we betting on this? No. Um, but, like, if I'm paying a dollar on it, like, do I really care that this is, <coughs> excuse me, uh, that I'm down $200 on this? Probably not, mainly because I feel like there's hits, like, like Frasca, Carnage, Tyrant, there's enough other hits in the set that if one of them spikes in September, which, like, there's no way, like, some amount of these Mythics don't, that it just covers, like, it just covers the cost on others. Like, if Frasca goes from, I think it's, like, 5 or $6 right now, I'd probably offer people, like, 4 to $5. Um, right? If this card goes to $10, right, that in itself covers the cost of, like, of all the Hotleys I want to buy already. 
Um, and it's unlikely that paying a dollar on Huatli, I'll ever do worse than break even. Like, if it turns out that this card actually is garbage, it doesn't pan out. Worst case scenario, I'll just dump it to another vendor and completely break even or use it towards credit on something I do want. Um, and for me, like, that's kind of where I want to be right now. Standard, this is, like, we mentioned this on the past few episodes. Standard is kind of an all-time low. Um, Ixlon, rivals Ixlon supplies just dried up so dramatically. Uh, people really aren't opening them anymore. They weren't opened as heavily as, uh, like, Keldesh and Amacamp block um, to begin with. Uh, so I think, like, just kind of getting in, a lot of cards are already very cheap which makes it very difficult for vendors to open more until it gets to a point where enough cards have spiked from a set like Dominaria did. There were enough cards that were expensive at the beginning that it was worth it for vendors to just open up the box and sell the singles rather than sell the sealed boxes themselves. Um, so until that actually happens, like enough prices from Ixlon, for example, get expensive enough that it's worth it for vendors to start opening their old Ixlon boxes, um, at which point it's too late for you to be buying those singles anyways because you've missed a boat because they're expensive now. Um, the supply is going to stay relatively stagnant, and I think like that's a reasonable place to park your money. Especially if you have like someone who is, prime example, is someone who's looking to like sell out of like Standard, for example. Like, sure, you don't have to pay very much on like their mono red deck. Uh, like Chandra, Hazret, like, most of those are probably about as low as they're going to be. But if people are selling like like blue-black control or like blue-white control or something. Like there's still like search for Ascantas, like these things that you can pay a very reasonable value on and you're almost excuse me, guaranteed to make your money back. And beyond that, like if you actually go through and look at like Rivals of Ixalan, um, there's a surprising amount of cards that are just like non-bulk, which actually makes the, which actually makes the set reasonable EV. I don't think like sitting on boxes is necessarily the worst idea. Um, because like if you look at the mythics, there's no, there's not that many mythics are just complete garbage. Um, like you have lots of things like, um, I think I mentioned it. Like Twilight Prophet was my pick a few weeks ago. Like this, this is a mythic that's still like five to six dollars, and this, it started out as like eight to ten dollars. It hasn't really fallen that much. And worst case scenario, like this is probably like this has some upside. It could be a reasonably competitive card, or this is a very reasonable casual card. Like you know, if you're buying these for three to four dollars i have a very very hard time imagining that you're going to lose money like between now and next you know when we have this conversation again come next like july august when standard is going through another rotation so that's kind of where i stand i think like it's a reasonable time to buy there are things i probably won't be buying right now i wouldn't go super deep on like modern um i imagine that like hopefully if pro tour uh pro tour and uh, 25 in, not M25, uh, just Pro Tour 25th anniversary in Minneapolis. If we do see an announcement for uh, next year's like Pro Tour and Grand Prix schedules, like depending on how modern falls, like if we do have another modern Pro Tour in uh, February, I think that was when it was, like there, that's kind of the time to like, then you have time to pick up modern staples. But until then, like I would just primarily focus on standard cards right now. Anything you want to add, Monty? Uh, so buy lists are starting to retract from the highs that we saw like a month, month and a half ago. Uh, like Vegas, your buy lists were extremely high, and you're starting to see them start to come back, and the prices will fall with that. Uh, your buy lists will always be the first to fall. Uh, but as they start to fall, you'll be able to pick up cards. But until then, you just want to sit there and wait 
pick up good buys as you see them and flip them as fast as possible to grow your capital. Yeah, there's a lot of people who it didn't seem budgeted well, uh, these like post Vegas. And there's a lot of people that are trying to cash out of cards right now, just based on like the volume of messages I'm receiving, like anecdotally or like people coming into the shop or people like coming in to sell the 5k. Um, it's just a lot of people are like, wait, I can't rely on um, my cards going up as like a way to manage my magic as an investment, which too many people seem to do rather than like separate an amount of capital that you want to invest in the magic. They just keep pouring paycheck after paycheck into specs. And then they get all confused when like the card that they bought at like it's all time high, hasn't gone 10% higher yet and they can't sell it to make more money. Um, so like, specifically for me, like I had people message me asking if I wanted to buy stuff at Minneapolis and I was like on certain stuff. I was like, no, I'm like, I can afford to be picky with my money. Um, and that's like one of the things that a lot of people should take to heart. And Ed's talked about this a lot is there's always going to be a better deal that comes along. Like, don't be afraid to say no to something if it's not worth your time or if you're not going to make as much money as you want to, you can just pass and wait for something else to come your way. Uh, especially as we get into the winter. So on a lot of this stuff, if it's not worth my time, I'm just passing and wishing them good luck and not not uh, spending my capital or um, taking the time to inventory all that stuff to sell. Uh, it's getting a lot and a lot easier to just like focus on certain things that I can personally sell faster, like modern and legacy collections or like specific EDH decks versus like uh, all foil standard decks or stuff like that, where I really don't have as much of an interest and it's not worth my time or money to try and sell that stuff. Um, so it's just something to keep in mind. Um, that's going to do it for this episode. This was a very fast 45 minutes. I'm, uh, I'm impressed. Unless there's anything you guys want to touch on before we get out of here. I don't think so. I think we had like a good mix of like questions. There was like a reasonable amount of depth and reasonable amount of discussion, which is kind of what we like we like to talk about on here as opposed to just kind of answering like, is this a good buy? Like generally those are like pretty poor questions. Um, there's definitely like way more to talk about. We can definitely talk more in depth about like, you know, how you want to prepare for a Grand Prix, especially if it's like your first time beyond the basics, et cetera. Um, but beyond that, like I think, like we, I think we definitely hit like a lot of good basics for people. Just if people kind of like want to reevaluate what, like what their plan is, et cetera. I think there's like even more discussion to be had. About All right. That. Well, where can people find you guys? Uh, I am Edwin Thirteen on Twitter. Uh, you guys can find me in Minneapolis this weekend. I will be at the Tales of Adventure booth. Uh, next weekend, I will be at Gen Con for all four days. I will be at the Hot Sauce booth. Uh, the week after that, I'll be at Orlando. I'll be at the Tales Adventure booth. Um, and then we'll kind of go from there. Uh, so my Twitter is MontyBR. Uh, I'm currently staying home in Toronto this weekend, but I will also be at Hot Sauce Games next weekend. Uh, I probably will show up in Orlando. I don't know how long I will be there for. Uh, and then I think i'm going to la afterwards i'm jeremy you can find me on twitter at missouri mtg i will be with ed at gp minneapolis this weekend both pro tour minneapolis and gen con next weekend and then whatever gp he's going to after that i'm following him as well and then if uh he, he's trying to escape to japan and i'm also following him back to japan so uh 
yeah, uh, we I know there's a ton of cartel fans uh, that are going to be at Minneapolis just based off of messaging. So feel free to say hi to Ed um, and drive him crazy. Uh, and yeah, I'll see if uh, we can get some content tweeted from the cartel account. You can find us on Twitter at cartel underscore finance. You can find us on YouTube, SoundClouds, iTunes, and gatheringmagic.com at cartel aristocrats. And as always, we will see you guys next week. Have a good one and bye.